It's Sunday morning, and I'm going to read something to you. This is something I got off the Internet years ago. These are some of the last words of very famous people in history just as they're dying. People say they don't believe in God. People are a lot smarter than you are if you're out there saying you don't believe in God. They had some things to say at death. Steve Jobs, the man who was behind all of this computerization that Bill Gates brought out, his last words, Steve Jobs, the driving force behind the Apple, uttered this about three hours before his death, as reported by his sister, Mona Simpson. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Was he in pain? Did he reflect on his life? Did he see a vision? We'll never know. President Lincoln in Ford's Theater, speaking to Ms. Lincoln, I'd like to visit the Holy Land. We could go to Jeru. At that point, Lincoln was shot by John Wilkes Booth. We could go to Jerusalem, he started to say. Clarence Darrow, the Scopes trial lawyer in the famous 1925 debate, while on his deathbed, asked several clergymen to please intercede for me with the Almighty. During my life, I have spoken many times against Christians, and I now realize I may have been wrong. Edward Gibbon, author of The Rise and Fall of the Roman Empire, all is lost, irrecoverably lost. All is dark and doubtful. Boy, I'd hate to go into eternity like that. Marilyn Monroe, I don't need your Jesus, related by Billy Graham, who tried to present the gospel message to Marilyn just before she died at age 36. Michelangelo, famous painter and sculptor, I die in the faith of Jesus Christ in a firm hope of a better life. Thomas Andrews, who designed the Titanic and drowned when it sank April 14th to 1912. No, not even God could sink the Titanic. I wonder if he thought about that as he's going down. Alexander the Great was an admirer of Socrates and Plato. Both were atheists. When he died, he threw a handful of blood at the sky in defiance of God. Talleyrand called the most brilliant mind of his generation. When asked about his condition while on his deathbed, replied, I am suffering the pangs of the damned. Let me read a couple more of these. Joseph Stalin, who murdered many millions of his own country, and he murdered more than Adolf Hitler murdered, while on his deathbed, as related by his daughter Svetlana to Malcolm Muggeridge, He suddenly sat up, groaned, shook his fist at the ceiling as if he could see beyond it, then fell back and died.
What a way to go into eternity. Sir Francis Newport allowed his name to be used on a brand of cigarettes. On his deathbed, he cried, O eternity, O eternity. He uttered a groan of inexpressible horror, and as he cried out, O the insufferable pangs of hell forever and forever. Voltaire, probably one of the most famous atheists that ever lived, French writer, philosopher. Voltaire, one of history's best-known atheists, often stated that by the time I'm buried, the Bible will be non-existent. His last words were, I am abandoned by God and man. I shall die and go to hell alone. His condition had become so terrible that his associates were afraid to approach his bedside and he passed away. His nurse said that all of the wealth in Europe, she would never watch another infidel die. A few years after he died, the Geneva Bible Society purchased Voltaire's home and turned it into a print shop to print Bibles. What a, what a man. Famous French author Guy de Moussant lived from 1850 to 1893 of whom it was said critics praised him, men admired him, women adored him. Before he went insane and died at the age of 42, as a result of having contracted syphilis, he penned his own epitaph, I have coveted everything and found pleasure in nothing. Socrates was the, probably the most brilliant man of his millennium. The government of ancient Greece charged him with polluting the minds of the youth of his day and sentenced him to death. He drank poison to activate his death. As he lay dying, his students asked him, Is there life after death? His answer was, I hope so. Julian the Apostate, Roman Emperor who hated Christians, was leading his forces in the battle for Persia in 363 A.D. He was mortally wounded, and as he lay dying on the battlefield, picked up some of his own blood, mingled with dirt, flung it skyward and said, Thou hast conquered, O Galilean, a reference to Jesus. I got many more here. I'm not going to read any more of these. Maybe I'll read some more next week. I hope these will challenge you. If you know some atheist, he's not near as smart as Voltaire was. All right. It's Sunday morning. I don't even know where to go half the time. I'm teaching about Christmas about the fire worship of Israel. And most people, I've said this a hundred times, if I've said it once, most people know about Israel being in bondage. 
They were in bondage for 400 years. Some people try to say, try to say 200 years. I differ with them because Abraham was never. They try to say from Abraham, Abraham through Joseph was 400 years. I differ with them. The Bible says they would be in bondage for 400 years, particularly the first time you see that is over in Genesis. Genesis, the 15th chapter. When you look at that, Genesis 15. This is where you can see this. And the Lord said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not of theirs, your seed, not you, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. Abraham was never afflicted in Egypt. Neither was Isaac, neither was Jacob. Jacob didn't go to Egypt until Joseph brought him over after there was all this great famine in the land. You can see that in Acts, the seventh chapter. You can also see it in Exodus, the twelfth chapter, where the Bible says they'll be 400 years in bondage. Well, the, the the bondage didn't start. Most people don't understand this. It did not start till Exodus, the first chapter. That's where Israel began to multiply at such breakneck speed that the that the Pharaoh rose up that did not know Joseph. It doesn't mean he didn't know who he was. He wasn't a friend to him, and he felt no obligation to his seed. So evidently, Joseph had been dead for some time. By the time you get Exodus, the first chapter, and because they were multiplying at such a great rate, the Pharaoh said, let's kill all the firstborn males. That way, this will stop their uh, multiplying. So Exodus, the first chapter, through the 12th chapter, that's the bondage right there. The 12th chapter is the 10th plague. And what is the 10th plague? Huh? Is what? Passover. Passover. It's the death of the firstborn. Death, death of firstborn. And most people are familiar with, with that 400 years in captivity. They're not familiar. The thing they're not familiar with is all the time that Israel was a nation in the Old Testament, they were a nation. They weren't a a literal nation under, well, you could call them a nation under judges, but they didn't have a king there. They had a prophet that God would appoint to rule them in the book of Judges. And they're not a nation under kings until First Samuel. Until First Samuel, the eighth chapter is where they say, give us a king. We're ty-. Samuel's got two real evil sons. 
and we don't want them being our prophet. So God says, and they, he said, I'm your king. Why do you need a king when I'm your king? Well, we want a king to rule us so he can have some bows and arrows and some of those early uh, war machines. Uh, God is saying, but I've got, I've got hurricanes and I've got, uh, I've got the earth opening up and splitting and I've got earthquakes and I've got fire from heaven. Why do you want weapons? What does that compare to what I can do? We want a king. So he gives him a king in the ninth chapter and he picks out a king from the wrong tribe. Now God had to plan this from the start. He planned, he gave him a man out of the tribe of Benjamin as their king. And who would that be? Huh? Saul. Saul. Saul was of the wrong tribe. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. Let me just give you one verse to show you what that's talking about. Over in Genesis, the 49th chapter, this is where Jacob is, or the Bible says it came time that Israel must die, and Jacob's name was changed to Israel in that 32nd chapter of Genesis. So in the 49th chapter, he's got all of his sons around him and he's giving their various blessings and curses. He's, he's actually cursing Simeon and, uh, and Reuben. He doesn't bless them. Their people will say, well, when God loved Jacob and hated Esau, that was because uh, Esau, all the evil that Esau would do. Jacob is the one that had 12 sons that most of them weren't living right even before they become a nation. And he said Reuben was cursed in this third verse. And he goes on down here to verse 10. This is very important verse. You ought to mark this, put this in highlights. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, the fourth son of Jacob. It'll never depart. Nor a lawgiver from between his feet until shallow, a form of shalom, peace, which is a term for Christ, until shallow come. And unto Judah shall the gathering of the people be. The scepter will never depart from Judah. God comes up and makes ben- gets a man out of the tribe of Benjamin. Saul is going to have to turn evil. It's going to be God's will that he turns evil. In fact, the Bible says an evil spirit from the Lord entered into Saul about three times. That's because when he... He's chosen, and he was, there wasn't a goodlier man upon the earth than Saul. He was the tallest man in Israel. It's not your image that makes you somebody. If it was tall, I wouldn't be up here. Now, then when you get over here to the 11th through the 15th chapter, Saul shows what a jerk he can be. He he rebels against God. He doesn't do the things that God says. 
And God says in the 15th chapter, I've got to go give this kingdom to someone who's better than you. And he said, he tells Samuel, you go down to southern Judah. Southern Judah. Now, the thing is, southern Judah consisted of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. And God eventually numbers Benjamin with Judah to be the southern kingdom. What is Simeon doing in the middle of southern Judah? Simeon was a killer, a murderer. He was two-faced. He was a liar. Boy, you talk about God. Simeon, he killed Hamor and his son Shechem. Shechem was a... They were pagans in the land. Shechem fell in love with Jacob's only daughter, Dinah, D-I-N-A-H. And he fell in love with her, and they had sexual relations together. And they wanted to get married. And she loved Shechem, and Shechem loved her. So they go to Jacob and say, we would like to, we would like to uh, marry He said, well, you can. Jacob said, you can. But every one of your family will have to be circumcised. That's God's law. He said, they said, we will. We'll be circumcised and become Israelites. When they were circumcised, Simeon said, Levi, these people are, these men are all sore and they can't move. Let's go kill them for defiling our sister. And they did. They murdered Shechem and Hamor and all of his family. And Jacob says, you have brought reproach upon Israel. I believe that's why Simeon was put down in the middle of Judah to put a rain on him so Judah could stop him. He was numbered with northern Israel. Anytime they went to war, Shechem would travel up there and join in with northern Israel. Southern Judah was Benjamin and Judah. Now, that's what I believe they did. That's funny. People think, well, Israel is all righteous. That's why God loved Jacob and hated Esau. They weren't righteous, not even before they become a nation. Reuben slept with his with his with uh, Bilhah his father's handmaiden his stepmother so God says you're unstable as water we're not going to you're not and Reuben Reuben was first born. He was supposed to be prophet, priest, and king. God took this away from him and gave the priesthood to Levi, the third born, and gave the kingdom, Judah, gave the kingship to Judah, and then later on, Israel split into two nations. And we're talking about this. It split into two nations into Judah and God took the tribe of Judah named the southern kingdom after him that was comprised of the tribe of Judah and Benjamin I don't know how to tell you this other than get detailed about it northern Israel 
which was called Israel after the split. That doesn't mean that Judah wasn't Israel. That was southern Israel. And the ten northern tribes, ten northern tribes, this was called Samaria. It was called Samaria. It had several names. It was called it was called Ephraim. After, long after they're dead, if you see Ephraim in the book of Hosea, and he's pronouncing all these curses on Ephraim, that's northern Israel. That is this side. That's this right here. That's Ephraim, or the ten northern tribes. This from David to Solomon, all the way down to Zedekiah, is Judah. That is, all of these are father, son, 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 other than Athaliah, and she was the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. So she don't count. She she killed all the seed royals so she could have the kingdom for herself. She was a wicked, godless woman. I'll be glad to see her in hell. No, I won't be there. Uh, I won't see her there. I'll be glad to see her go to hell. She was an evil woman. Now, you need to understand this, that they were split because in First Kings the 11th chapter that Solomon allowed his wives his 700 wives 300 concubines a concubine was a secondary wife he could have babies by all of these they had kids running around everywhere and he said I had a thousand women a lot of them were beautiful women he didn't marry all ugly women and he said they were vanity and vexation of spirit. Vexation is a word in the Hebrew. means to grab for the wind. He said, I cannot fulfill all of my desires with all these women. Now, I'm trying to get back to where I've been. When, and because Reuben was unstable, that has to do. Reuben, firstborn, God took... God took the inheritance away from Reuben and gave it to Joseph, the 11th son, through his son, Ephraim. So anytime Ephraim is referred to long after he's dead, that's talking about northern Israel. Samaria being referred to is talking about northern Israel. And and after, after the split... It, northern Israel is just called Israel. You have to learn to identify these things. Now, when they were in the wilderness, coming out of the wilderness, as they're leaving the wilderness, as they're leaving Egypt, they're in Egypt over here for 400 years. I've said people know the bondage but they don't understand the captivity. The bondage was 400 years from Exodus 1 to Exodus 12. We think that's that's the legacy of the Jews is to be in bondage that long. Well, when they were coming out of Egypt and they go into the wilderness for 40 years, 40 years in the wilderness, Right at the beginning of the 40 years, there in Exodus, 
20 and the following chapters they right at the beginning of the 40 years God says you're going to the promised land and that was promised to Abraham back here this land that belongs to you all you have to do is be obedient to me well they come into the land they're under judges there's a lot of speculation how long they were under judges under judges let's say 375 to 400 years at the maximum under judges then when they get into the land and you get to first samuel and samuel is more or less the leader of the people the prophet god would come to the prophet and tell him you tell the priest to do this later on you're going to have kings when you get down to that eighth chapter give us a king god picks out saul out of the wrong tribe that's why when you get to 11 through 15 evil spirit comes upon saul he has to turn god repents himself that he made saul king in that 15th chapter it says that right at the end of the chapter or does it mean God cried and wept down some aisle in a Baptist church? No. Repent means to turn. Repent in the Old Testament, shub, means to turn. God had to turn because he had picked the wrong tribe. He had to put, he had to put an evil spirit in Saul. When, they, when David went out and killed Goliath, and he came into town in that 18th chapter. He killed Goliath in the 17th chapter of 1 Samuel. When he comes into town and the women are singing praises to David, they're singing, Saul hath killed his thousands, and David is ten thousands, and Saul goes, he just gets livid. He takes his spear, an evil spirit comes upon Saul, and he throws it at David. And from that day forward, from the 18th chapter to the end of the book, Saul is trying to kill David. And that's a story in itself. But that's not where I am. Then we get into 2 Samuel. I call 1 Samuel, I call 1 Samuel the book of Saul and David. I call Second Samuel the book of David. The book of David, because that's where David, David becomes king of all the land. Everybody comes to pay him homage. The people from Egypt pay him homage. The people from what we call Lebanon or Tyre and Sidon, they come to pay him homage. And he is king of all the earth in that fifth chapter then when you get to that you get to the eleventh chapter he commits adultery and murder why didn't God have him put to death because he was repentant he had adulterous affair with Bathsheba he saw her from a rooftop. He knew who she was. You can bet on that. 
He had to know who she was. Her grandfather was a man named Ahithophel. And Ahithophel was David's chief counselor. You mean she didn't know that? She didn't know her grandfather? Well, she'd probably been in the palace many times, but he had never seen her naked sunbathing on a rooftop before. He knew who she was. She knew who he was. So he commits adultery, and then, and then she gets pregnant by that affair with King David. Now, some say David, he was ruddy-faced. Ruddy means red. Some say he probably had freckles and red hair. He did not look like Gregory Peck in the old movie. You can forget that. He was a fighter. He was an unbelievable fighter. What gets me, people think he was some pansy in in the Bible. They think David was just a little shepherd boy that swung a sling around and said, I hope I hit something. No, no, no. He was 17 years old, or 17 or 18, when he went out against Goliath. He looked at Goliath and he said, I can kill him. He's not even going to get close to me. Those shepherds were proficient with a sling. They could take a sling and hit a hair's breadth at 50 yards. He said, he's not going to be any trouble for me. And the Bible says he looked at Goliath and he ran toward him as fast as he could go. And Goliath said, I'm going to feed you to the birds of the air. He said, I'm, I come to you in the name of the living God. You're dead. And he hit him right between the eyes. He didn't kill him with the sling. He knocked him out. What he killed him with was his own sword. David went up, took his sword, and cut his head off. That'll kill you for sure. <laughs> so, and Saul became livid jealous. He stayed that way every day of his life from that 18th chapter till the 31st chapter. And we'll go through that again someday. I don't have time to go through that. But you get into Second Samuel, he has committed murder, murder and adultery. He commits murder by having Uriah the Hittite killed. He sends for Uriah to come home. Uriah is fighting the Ammonites. That's what we call northern Jordan. He's fighting the Ammonites. Ammonite, Ammonite. Ammonite comes from the word Ammon. Amon, Jordan, is the capital of Jordan in northern Jordan. Same thing. Wait a minute here. Let me... So, he's up here in... Let me find a... He's up here in Jordan. Jordan would be on the east side of the Jordan River. He's up here. If this is Israel, and this is Jordan over here, Amman Jordan is up here, 
and David's here in Jerusalem. So he sends a messenger up here, says, tell Uriah to come back home. When Uriah gets home, he tells Uriah, go home and sleep with your wife tonight. Enjoy your home life. Uriah says, okay, King David. The next morning, David gets up. He goes out on the front steps of the palace, and there is Uriah sleeping on the front steps of the palace. And David wakes him up and says, you're right, didn't you go home with your wife? He thought, well, if he went home with his wife, that pregnancy, he could blame that on Uriah. Unless everybody suspected that those freckles and red hair came from David. So he tells Uriah, take this. He goes into the palace, writes a note. Set Uriah in the heat of battle. Withdraw from him so he'll be killed. And he hands, folds this paper up, gives it to Uriah. Uriah takes his own death warrant back up to Joab, who is David's nephew. He's commander of David's forces up here. Uriah takes it up there, and they put him in the battle, withdraw from him, and he's killed. So David commits adultery and murder. Uriah was one of the most faithful people that David had in his army well from that day on Nathan the prophet stood in front of David and said the sword will never leave your house and he had problems every day of his life how do you have problems if you're the king of Israel your family Ammon his oldest son raped his daughter Tamar and then Absalom heard about it Absalom said, I'm going to kill my brother. And he waited two years and he caught him at a feast and he fell upon Ammon and killed him. And then Absalom came up one day and says, I've got all these beautiful locks of hair and the people like me and I'm standing outside the city welcoming everybody in. They love me. I'm going to take the kingdom from my father. So he forms an army. His father runs for his life. He takes three men with him. He takes three super fighters plus an army. Does anybody remember who those fighters were? Three generals David took with him. Joab. Huh? Joab. Joab and who else? Shema. I don't know. Who was Joab's brother? Abishai. He took Abishai and one other man. He took a Gittite with him. And what is a Gittite? Plays a guitar, I guess. Huh? <laughs> a Gittite was a Philistine. So he took these three men with him and ran. And his son is chasing him. And he's going north of Jerusalem. He crosses the... He crosses the Jordan River and goes to a city of refuge. What town was that? Mahanium. Huh? Mahanium. Yeah, Mahanium. And then this is another adventure story. But let me just, I got to get back to where I am. God had told when they were leaving Egypt, you're going to go in and possess this land. And when you do... If you go after other gods, 
all the time you're a nation from Saul until Zedekiah, the last king of Israel. If you go after any other gods, what am I going to do to you? What's he going to do to them? Huh? He's going to bring the sword, the famine, and the pestilence against Israel. And that will be over and over. They go for 500 years. Actually, 510 years. Where they never kept their sabbatical years. Well, they actually had 490 years. They never kept Sabbath. We don't know which kings that was or which judges that was. So they were under judges for right close to 400 years. They're under kings for 500 years. And they had all of these years, 70 sets of sabbatical years, 70 times 7. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. That's 70 sets of those. These are weeks of years. And they, there were 70 of these they never kept. So God says, I'm going to scatter you. And the scattering, what did they call? What do we call that? The scattering. Who does the scattering? Huh? But who, what does he use to scatter Israel? The beast. The beast. What is the beast? Babylon. It's the Babylonian lion. You're going to find this in Daniel 7. Revelation 13. And you can see it all through the Bible. Hosea, Hosea, the 13th chapter. And I haven't given it to you, but Solomon prayed a prayer as he's finishing the temple in Second Kings. Second Kings, he has a prayer and he talks about Sword, famine, pestilence, and the beast. The the beast was the Babylonian lion, the Persian bear, the Grecian leopard. It's I can't always go through all of these when I'm putting them up. Leopard. And there's reasons for all of that. And then the beast with iron teeth. And that would be wrong. That would devour all of these others. So that's the dangerous empire right there. Now, like I've said, everybody, they went after sun and tree worship, sun and tree. I understand they would modify some of these gods. They would take these sun gods and make them gods of war, like Minerva. She was a goddess of war. It was kind of just a, a readjusting of her original tree goddess. They would modify and make them gods of war, gods of this, gods of that. But they basically were sun and tree gods. They were always going after these gods. The Bible says, The Lord our God, there in Deuteronomy, the fourth chapter, the Lord our God is a consuming fire. 
Our God's the fire God. That's why he would say that. When when uh, Elijah was on the mountain with the priests of Baal on Mount Carmel, and he's saying to them, let the God that answers by fire, let him be God. Let him be the fire God. You priests of Baal been worshiping fire and sun. The God that answer by fire. And so he digs trench around the sacrifice and prays to God about a 32, 33 word prayer and says, bring fire down and consume all the sacrifice, the water we poured all around the sacrifice. And God answered by fire. And and then he said, now I want you to kill all these priests of Baal. And they did. They kept doing this. They kept going after these people, after these gods, for 500 years. God finally said, I've had enough. So he sends the Assyrian. Assyria was just an extension of Babylon. That was northern Babylon. He sends the Assyrians in to carry northern Israel away in 722 B.C. This is something. What's amazing to me, everybody watches the news. You know there's something going on over there in the Middle East but you don't really know what it's about. Did anybody really know what was going on in the Middle East before they came here? Why Israel was fighting all of those Arabs over there? Why the Palestinians were attacking Israel? It's pretty simple. Why? Israel was scattered. Everybody's familiar with the bondage, with the bondage, that was a very short time from Exodus 1 to Exodus 12. But people are not familiar when northern Israel was carried away after, after 500 years of worshiping the sun and the tree gods. 722 B.C. Northern Israel was carried away by the Assyrians. Assyrians are not Syrians. This is Syria here. Assyria was an empire. It was ruling all these people. It was the same thing as northern Babylon. So the Assyrians came in, carried northern Israel away into captivity. They carry him into Assyria. They carry him up here. Assyria's up here. This is the Caucasus Mountains here between the Caspian Sea and the Black Sea. And you've got what's amazing, you've got a little town up here just off the Caspian Sea called Jericho. So when those Jews are being moved up there. They're starting to name their towns the same thing as they were had them down here. So northern Israel is carried away in 722 B.C. by the Assyrians. Now, I'm going to kind of skip over some things. 
you're going to find this taking place in 2 Kings. 2 Kings, the 17th chapter. I want to turn over there to 2 Kings, the 17th chapter. And they were in captivity. Let me go ahead and say it. Israel has been, well, let me go ahead and put this on the board. 586 B.C. That's well into 150 years or so. Southern Judah was carried captive. We know that northern Israel deserved to be carried off because Ahab married Jezebel, the the princess of of Tyre and Sidon, which is right above Israel, and she brought her gods down into northern Israel, and Ahab set up temples for Baal and the grove in northern Israel, and God says, "I've had it with Ahab." So, this is northern Israel. This is southern Judah. Saul was numbered with southern Judah. So this is Judah. Now. Southern Judah was carried away, or the two tribes of Judah and Benjamin were carried away in 586. You can find these, you can find this carrying away. They were carried away, and they've been in captivity until May 14th, 1948. I was nine years old when Israel come out of captivity. And then the the really important date on this is the Six-Day War of 1967. And that ended June 5th through 10th. That ended, ended the Jews falling by the edge of the sword, being led away captive into all nations. That's what Luke twenty-one, twenty-four says. They, the Jews, will fall by the edge of the sword. They'll be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trodden down to the Gentiles until, until the Gentile rule over the Jews is finished. And they drove out the Jordanians in this six-day war, had an unbelievable victory over them, and the Jews no longer, and Jerusalem was no longer treading underfoot by the Gentiles. This has to do with the end of time. I don't see how we can go much longer. The world is utterly insane now. It's crazy. I mean, you've got one of the presidential candidates is a homosexual married to another man. Did you know that? That guy, I can't even pronounce his name. Huh? Yeah, Buttigieg, Buttigieg, or something like that. He's real handsome, good looking, and it's getting to where that we're crazy out of our minds I mean 
the Democrats and the Republicans hate each other. It's a wonder they don't get guns and start shooting each other. They hate each other more than ever. Now, so they have been, this has been the captivity. We're all familiar with the bondage, but most people are not familiar with the captivity. 2,600 years of it. 2,600. And what's going on? Let me explain it to you one more time. I've given you a paper that's got all the people that have ruled Israel over these thousands of years. They have been under the rule since 722 and 586. Dozens and dozens of foreign nations have ruled Israel. Uh, their blood has flown through the streets. The Bible says when these things come to pass, don't enter in Jerusalem. When Jerusalem is camped with armies, enter not therein too. These are the days of God's revenge that all things that are written may be fulfilled. It's God's revenge on Israel for going after other gods. Now, I want to take you into where they were scattered when God is God is fill of them. Go over here to Second Kings, the seventeenth chapter. When you get to Second Kings, the seventeenth chapter, this is the beginning of the demise of Israel and the Old Testament. You say, I thought the Old Testament was all the history of Israel. When you get to you get to the end of Second Kings, you get to the end of Second Chronicles. That's the end of Israel in the Old Testament. When you get to Ezra, <laughs> Nehemiah, Esther. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, these are merely books explaining the kings and their Esther is during the, after they're carried captive when Xerxes Or, as the Bible puts it, Ahasuerus, A-H-A-S-U-R-E-S. Ahasuerus is the same thing as Xerxes. And Nehemiah is, he's living somewhere in the neighborhood of 457 to 444, actually, all the way to 432. That's when he finishes building the city. Well, that's long after, that's long after they're carried away. So most of the, most of the prophets are prophesying Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum. Those are the minor prophets. They're prophesying about what Israel did while they were a nation and how God has scattered them and how God's bringing judgment on them. When you get to reading the prophets, Israel's history is finished at the end of Second Kings and Second Chronicles. They're no longer a nation. 
But when you get in when you get into Psalms, David is not the only psalmist. Moses wrote a lot of the Psalms. So you have to read in order to you have to in order to study the Psalms, you've got to study Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Moses dies at the end of Deuteronomy, so to study his life, to study the Psalms, you've got to study his life. And you've got to study David's life over in First and Second Samuel to understand the Psalms. There were some other psalmists. Some say there were up to 20 people who wrote the Psalms. We just say the psalmist David. The place you can find this, if you've got the McClinic and Strong, look up Psalms that will tell you about the writers. Now, I want us to go over here. God is having his fill with Israel. If you're over here in the 17th, I've said that Assyria carried northern Israel away. If you back up to the 15th chapter, you'll see names like verse 19, 15th chapter, pull the king of Assyria, Pul, some say that was probably Ashurbanipal, A-S-H-U-R-B-A-N-I-P-U-L. Pul was probably short for Ashurbanipal, one of the kings. And then you can go into, uh, you'll see these other kings, if you look over at the 29th verse, Ashurbanipal was an Assyrian king. Now this is before northern Israel has, excuse me, this is before Assyria has fallen to Babylon. In the 29th verse of the 15th chapter, in the days of Pekah, king of Israel, Pekah. Okay. Pekah. I gave y'all all a map like this. There's Pekah, 752 to 732. So northern Israel doesn't fall to 722. They fall under Hoshea. Now let's look here. It says in the 29th verse of the 15th chapter, In the days of Pekah, king of Israel, came Tiglath, Pelezer, king of Assyria. He was, there were three deportations of northern Israel into captivity. They started approximately 732 B.C. and ended in 722 B.C. Approximately 10 years, northern Israel was being carried captive by Pul, or Ashurbanipal, or Tiglath-Pileser. These were kings. You've heard me mention these guys. And go ahead and read to the end of that verse. And took Ejon, and Abel Beth Maacah, and John Noah, and Kedesh, and Hazor, and Gilead, and Galilee, all the land of Naphtali, We'll see if you have this right here. All the land of Naphtali. There's Naphtali up there. That was one of the sons of Jacob. 
Those are his 12 sons up there. Uh, Naphtali and carried them captive to Assyria. Now let's turn on over to that 17th chapter. I just want to kind of move you into the 17th chapter of what's happening. Now let's read. This 17th chapter is major. This is the demise of northern Israel. No longer is northern Israel there after this chapter. People will say, well, what about when Jesus was here? Wasn't Israel back? When he was here, only southern Judah was back from the captivity. Only two tribes. And if the owner, Ephraim or Joseph, wasn't there, they said they nobody was home. So only southern Judah with Benjamin was back from the captivity during the days of Jesus. Northern Israel was called the ten lost tribes. That's what they were called. That's because they never came back. You had to have... The Bible says in Ezekiel, the 37th chapter, at the end of time, tells Ezekiel, take one stick for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, in the 37th chapter. That's the valley of dry bones. And one stick for Judah, and they'll become one in your hand. At the end of time, they'll no longer be northern Israel and southern Judah. There'll be one. That's what they are now. That means we're coming close to the end of all things. Now, let's read here in the 17th chapter. I think of the 17th chapter of 2 Kings. This is one of the saddest chapters in the Bible because Israel ends its time, its tenure as a kingdom its ownership is in northern Israel with the tribe of Joseph or Ephraim, his second-born son. In the twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah. If it says king of Judah, Ahaz. Twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah. Ahaz, king of Judah, began... Hoshea, the son of Elah, to reign in Samaria. That means in the twelfth year of Ahaz, Hoshea begins to reign in northern Israel. He's the last king of northern Israel. That means the end is right here. Began to reign in Samaria over I said when it says Israel, long after they're all dead, it says Israel here. It says Samaria over Israel. Israel here means northern Israel. When you see Israel referred to after after all, all these old guys are dead, it means northern Israel. Nine years, and he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord but not as the kings of Israel that were before him. Against him came up Shalmaneser, another king of Assyria. This is the carrying away of northern Israel. 
king of Assyria, and Hoshea became his servant and gave him presents. So Shalmaneser is coming in, and he's going to rule and carry northern Israel away captive. And the king of Assyria found conspiracy in Hoshea. He had sent messengers to So, king of Egypt, and brought no present to the king of Assyria, as he had done year by year. Therefore the king of Assyria shut him up and bound Hoshea in prison. And the king of Assyria came up throughout the land of and went up to northern Israel, Samaria. Samaria is northern Israel. Samaria at one time was a town in northern Israel. When you see it long after the beginning, it's north, talking about northern Israel. And besieged it for three years. This is Shalmaneser. In the ninth year of Hoshea, king of Assyria, took Samaria, northern Israel, and carried Israel, northern Israel, it's you say, Jim, that's hard to do. If it's referring to North, to Israel after they're split, it means northern Israel. Away unto Syria, placed them in Hala and Habor by the river Gozen, in the cities of the Medes. For so it was that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, which had brought them up out of the land of Egypt. God delivered them, and they sinned against him as soon as they got into their land, worshiping sun and tree God. From under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, God delivered them and had feared other gods and walked in the statutes of the heathen. That's talking about Israel. Israel walked after Baal in the grove, and Shemash and Molech, whom the Lord cast out from before the children of Israel, and of the kings of Israel which they had made. And the children of Israel did secretly those things which were not right against the Lord their God. Boy, we've been talking about that for years, haven't we? And this is the finality. God said, if I had my fill with Israel. And that's the same thing, what they went after with sun and tree worship, which was brought in the church by Constantine and renamed the Christ Mass. Good grief. People say, well, that's not the same thing. It is exactly the same thing. And they built them high places. The high places were the hills outside of a town where they kept their their tree goddesses so they could go offer sacrifices to them. And all their cities from the Tower of the Watchmen to the fifth city. And they set them up images and groves, Asherah, upright tree goddesses, Christmas trees, in every high place and under every green tree. Why does it say green tree? Well, look over real quick, and we'll come right back here. Look at Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40. Talk about Israel. Verse 18. 
To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness will you compare unto him? The workman melteth a graven image, and the goldsmith spreadeth it over with gold and cast the silver chains, so that he that is so impoverished that he hath no oblation, no, no offering, chooseth a tree that will not rot in evergreen. That's what a Christmas tree is. Inhabitants thereof are as... Uh, wait a minute. Where was I? Choose the tree that will rot and not rot. He seeketh unto him a cunning workman to prepare a graven image that it shall not be moved. And you go to Jeremiah 10 and look at that. Now back over here to Second Kings. This is why God scattered Israel. I told you a while ago I was going to tell you I've said this so many times I can't count. Israel was under the reign of all these different people. I gave that to you in a map. I may have it up here. I gave it to you. All the people that ruled over them. In 1517, the Ottoman... Turks. That was an empire. The Ottoman Empire, this is Turkey, that was called Asia Minor in the scripture, and this is called Turkey today, but it was Asia Minor back then. Now, the Ottoman Turks ruled all of this area in here in 1517. They ruled all that world until 1917. 1917 was the end of the Great War. We call that World War One. The reason they didn't call it World War One, they didn't know there's going to be a World War Two. You understand that? <laughs> Well, this is when General Allenby, at the end of a war, General Allenby, he was head of the British forces in that area. They were one of our allies in World War One or the Great War. And he, he was going to take, he was going to go and take uh, Israel, take Jerusalem, he said, I'm not worthy to ride my horse into Jerusalem, into this holy city. So he got off his horse. He walked in and took Jerusalem. In 19, from, not, from 1517 to 1917, most of the people in what we call Israel today, which was just... It was a satellite nation of the world. It was still being ruled by the Gentiles. Most of the people, around 90%, 90% of the people in that area were came from Arab roots. They believed they had owned that land for 400 years. And so after 1917, 
since General Allen came in and conquered Jerusalem and captured it away from all of their enemies, they're going to give them a time of peace. In 1920, Arthur Balfour issued the Balfour. It was a Balfour proclamation. It was very ambiguous. It was just about a couple of sentences long. And it was very ambiguous. And the Arabs thought it was in their favor. And the Jews thought it was in their favor. Then we get up to... And they're fighting back and forth, always having some kind of wars. You get up to 1948. And this Balfour Declaration is going to expire May 14th, 1948. The closer they're getting to 1948, the Arabs keep saying, this is our land. We've had possession of it 400 years. You can't take it away from us. Can you see why the Arabs would crash a plane into World Trade Center? They think we stole their land. Right? Can you see that? I can see exactly why they feel the way they feel. The only problem is, God gave the land in Genesis 17 and Genesis 28. He gave it to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Bible says it belongs to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or Israel. And they have to say, but we owned it for 400 years and you took it away from us. So they said, any one who sides with Israel, and the reason, the reason President Truman, he knew that Hitler had killed six million Jews during World War II. He knew that. He pressured the world at the National Council of Tel Aviv to to rule that Israel would be a nation. That was the Council of the United Nations and that they would be a nation and he pressured the entire world and he told all of the nations, I will sanction you. And Harry Truman is considered a hero in Israel. In fact, he introduced himself at one time as the as the modern day Cyrus. It was Cyrus that told Israel, "Go back and build your temple again." So he called himself Cyrus, and then the United Nations got to calling him that. Well, the the Arabs said, "Anyone who sides with Israel." There's no answer to this. When they believed they owned it for 400 years and it was given to Abraham and because they had had the most recent possession of it, can you see why they do what they do? There's two ways to look at this. depends on if you're Arab standing over there on the land in Arabia or one of those Arab nations, or whether you're an American that say, we believe in the Bible and we believe it belongs to the Jews. You know what this is? It's real simple. They'll be distressed the nations with 
perplexity, apoia, no answer, no way out. There's no answer to this. That's like Jacob and Esau. That's right. There's no answer to it. You ever think the Arabs are going to say, oh, well, forget it. We'll take what we got. They're They're never going to forget it. They'll crash more planes. They'll blow up more. They'll blow up more systems. That's what they do. Like the insurance commercial says. (laughs) That's what they do. So when we when we got behind in fact I remember when Ronald Reagan blockaded the I remember when he blockaded uh, all this right here Libya uh, the crazy guy that he put a blockade on this Bay of Libya uh, I don't y'all probably don't remember that but he put a blockade on it. It's Gaddafi. Yeah, because of Gaddafi, the murderer. And he said, until he stops, until we get a control of him, you'll get nothing from us. And that's, things like that is what Truman did. He said, you can't have any shipping from us of any kind. And without America shipping to the ports of the world, it's like telling somebody you can't have dinner. You can't have food. Well, this was the problem. So the next day, May the 15th, 1948, May 15th, 45 million Arabs declared war against 245,000 Jews. That's not a very good. And the Jews looked like they just no way they could win. And they beat the tar out of them. I don't know how. I got a I got a book with these miraculous things the Jews did. And then they had the war of the Sinai War. Sinai War of 1957 completely outnumbered and they destroyed them then they had the six day war June 5th through June 10th 1967 then they had the Yom Kippur war Yom Kippur day of Kippur or day of atonement war That was in 1973, and they've all been completely outnumbered, and they've won. Now, I don't believe that God would have them winning all these wars when they're completely outnumbered if somehow there's not a remnant in literal Israel that will be a part of the church. They're not going to be a part of the church because they're Jews. Jesus said, no man comes to the Father but by me. I believe there has to be because of these wars and how they were completely outnumbered. In the Six-Day War of 67, they, the Jews attacked Egypt. It's about two and a half minutes from Jerusalem to Egypt. 
in a jet, in one of them jet fighters, about two and a half minutes, they caught the entire Egyptian Air Force in the hangars drinking coffee, and they destroyed their entire army in 19, their entire air force in 1967. All the planes of Egypt were destroyed. I believe that somehow people say, well, how does that fit in with us? The Jews are going to, if there are any elect among the Jews, they've got to come through Jesus Christ. They've got to believe in predestination. They already know that Christmas is pagan. Now, let's go back over here to Second Kings. You forgot about the jihad. About the jihad, yeah. He said, if anyone, they said, if anyone sides with America that we were in jihad, we, we were in jihad, a holy war, with anyone who sides with America. The reason the World Trade Center came down is because what Israel did while they were a nation under kings because they bombed they crashed those planes in the World Trade Center because we've been siding with Israel ever since when they say the land is theirs can you see that I can understand Arabs I can understand Palestinians am I going to side with them no this is a perplexing situation. Nobody has the answer. There is none. Forget it. Nothing's going to happen to fix it. And we have been at war with them. They have a they have a law among the Arab people. It's called Al Fatah. The Al-Fatah says that if anyone gets in the way of the progress of Islam, that you're placing yourself in jihad or a holy war with them. May the 15th, 1948, we were in a holy war with, we were in a jihad. We placed ourselves in it by siding with Israel. Well, what else could we do? Does anybody have an answer to that? There is no answer. None. We're headed, to, we're headed towards the end. I don't see how we can go a whole lot longer. So we've been in all these other wars. They crashed the planes into the World Trade Center because they thought they were doing right. They weren't crazy. They said they were going to get... 70 virgins. This one Arab, he died and uh, he went to his heaven and he saw George Washington and uh, he saw Alexander Hamilton in his heaven. He said, wait a minute. I thought I was supposed to get 70 virgins. They said, no, 70 Virginians. <laughs> All right, now let's go back over to that 17th chapter of Second Kings. I hope you can, 
people say you like to teach the history of Israel. The history of Israel is the reason the reason we are who we are. Let me read it to you one more time. Romans eleven eleven. All of this that happened in Israel is this is it right here. Romans eleven eleven. I want you to read it with me. I think sometimes I quote these things. You may not be paying attention. I want to read this. 11, 11. Talking about Israel. Well, let's back up. Let's back up to... Let's back up to verse 7 and read down to it. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. Whoever God allows to see the truth is Israel. According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see. This is also in Isaiah the 29th chapter. This is in Matthew the 13th chapter and Acts the 28th chapter. Ears that they should not hear unto this day. And David saith, let their table be a snare, talking about Israel, and a trap and a stumbling block and recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see. And bow down their back always. I say then, have has Israel stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. They didn't stumble just to fall for no reason. But rather they stumbled through their fall. Salvation is coming to the Gentile church, spiritual Israel. The only reason we are here is because they fell all the time they were a nation. God scattered them, said, now I'm going to blind their eyes, and I'm going to open the eyes of the Gentiles. That's what Isaiah said through his old book. The Gentiles will come to the light long before they were scattered. This is one great, big, orderly arrangement of God. God has an elect people among the Gentiles. Without Israel falling, you and I wouldn't be here today. So that was arranged by God. All of their sin was arranged. He even warned them in that 28th chapter of Deuteronomy, you're going to go into your land, you're going to fall, and you're going to be carried away. He told them that before they were even come into the land. You will fall because I've arranged it. I've got a people among the Gentiles. Let's go back here. He's talking about what Israel did and why he's causing them to be carried away. How much time do I have, Mike? Ten. Huh? Ten. Oh, man, I, I'm not getting anywhere today. Look at verse 12 of chapter 17 of Second Kings. They served idols. Whereof the Lord had said unto them, Ye shall not do this thing. Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah and all the prophets and by all the seers, saying, Turn ye from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes. But they didn't because God arranged it in their heart. 
they wanted to call me and you. According to all the law which I commanded your fathers and which I sent to you by my servants, the prophets, notwithstanding, Israel would not hear. He's not talking to pagans. He's talking to Israel. Can you see that? But hardened their necks like the neck of their fathers that did not believe in the Lord their God and they rejected his statutes and his covenants. That's why I'm writing this chapter here. I'm carrying them away. That he made with their fathers and his testimonies which he testified against them and they followed vanity and became vain went after the heathen Everybody around them, they went after everybody's gods around them. They went after the gods of Egypt. They went after the gods of Syria. They went after the gods of Tyre and Sidon. They went after the gods of Ammon and Moab. They went after all these gods of everybody around them. They went after the gods of the Babylonians. They went after the gods of the Tyre and Sidon here just above Israel. They went after hundreds of gods. Israel did that. That were round about them and concerning whom the Lord had charged them that they should not do like them. And they left all the commandments. He's, have you noticed he's saying this over and over and over? Have you ever told your kids, don't do that, don't do that? I told you not to do that. And God says over and over, don't do that. What are our gods? Covetousness is idolatry. Covetous, pleonectes, means to want more and to go after more however you can get it. Devious, any way you can get it. Wanting more. Does America want more? That's their gods. More cars, more houses, more diamonds, more money, more of everything. And made them molten images and two calves and made a grove and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served Baal, the fire god, the tree gods. They went after Christmas under another name. And they caused their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire and used used divination and enchantments and told themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord and to provoke him to anger. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel. You know, this seems like a bunch of complex language, but you look at it for what it is. It's very simple. God says, I told you I'd give you the land and you have it if you're obedient to me. But when you're disobedient, I'll take you away from it and I'll take it away from you. And that's why they believe they owned it. And when it was set dormant for so many years and the Turks come along and they said, we want it for us. And they just took possession of it because there's nobody there to stop them. They say, we own it. So if you take it away from the Turks, they're going to say, whoa, wait a minute. We've owned it too long. Possession is nine points of the law, isn't it? And remove, notice this, look here. Look at verse 18. Therefore the Lord was angry with Israel 
and removed them out of his sight. You see, removed him out of his sight. You can put the beast right there. The beast carried him away. A lot of times, he'll have the beast inserted in there with different kinds of words. And there was none left but the tribe of Judah only. But he's going to carry them away in the 25th chapter of this book. It'll be 150 years later, but he's going to carry them away. Also, Judah kept not the commandments of the Lord. Why? Because Athaliah married the king of southern Judah, and she took her mother's gods with her. What a witch. She killed all the seed rolls so she could have it, but she missed one, and that was Joash. And Judah kept not the commandments of the Lord their God, but walked in the statutes of Israel, which they made, they made them up themselves. And the Lord rejected all the seed of Israel. He's rejecting the whole nation. But he says, I'm not going to withhold my covenant from you. I'm going to bring you all back to me. But it's going to include the church. And afflicted them and gathered them in the hand of spoilers. Spoilers exactly what that means. That means, I mean, mates, let's take the spoil. The pirate jumps the ship and he says, we'll take the spoils away. The kings took away all the vessels of the house of the Lord, all their gold and their silver, took it off to Babylon until he had cast them out of his sight in these foreign lands. Anytime you see that they're being carried away, it's just another name for the beast. For he rid Israel from the house of David. That happened in the 11th chapter of 1 Kings. When he, when he set Judah by themselves along with Benjamin and kept Ephraim in the north. That who owned the house, that was the owner when God put it, when Jacob put his hands on the head of Ephraim, the second born of Joseph. Joseph jumped back and said, but Nassim is my firstborn. He said, I know that, but it's going to go to Ephraim, the second born of Joseph in Egypt. House of David, and they made Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, king, king over Israel. That's in the 12th chapter of of 1 Kings. Jeroboam says, well, if Rehoboam is not going to attack me, I got to do something to keep them north and keep them here with me. So he built a golden calf and said, this is the God that brought you out of Egypt. He didn't have them worshiping the golden calf. He just reduced Jehovah God to a golden calf. And Jeroboam drove Israel from following the Lord and made them sin a great sin going after the calf. For the children of Israel walked in the sins of Jeroboam, which he did. That's going after the calf. They departed not from them until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight. That's the beast. That's Babylon, Persia, Greek. When you see removed Israel out of his sight, just stick in the margin of your Bible, the beast. As he had said by all of his servants, the prophets, so was Israel carried away, the beast out of their own land 
to Assyria unto this day. Northern Israel was carried into Syria. And the king of Assyria brought men from Babylon, from Kuthna and Ava and Hamath and Serevaim and placed them in the cities of Samaria, northern Israel, instead of the children of Israel. And they possessed Samaria. That's very important. Samaria is northern Israel. What did they do in northern Israel that was so bad? They brought their gods into northern Israel. From Assyria, they brought their gods in, and they mixed Jehovah worship with Assyrian sun and tree gods. That's why when Jesus met the woman at the well of Samaria, northern Israel, he told her, you worship, you know not what. Because you got some of Jehovah God and some of the Assyrian fire and tree gods. You don't even know what you're worshiping. And that's why the Pharisees resented northern Israel so much because the Assyrians had brought their gods in and mixed it with northern Israel's Jehovah worship. And the Pharisees said, we won't set foot in northern Israel. There's a lot more to that story. I'm out of time. I wish I could tell you all of this at once. I just can't say it all out of my mouth. There's so much to this. If you was, When you're reading the Bible, read it for what it says. It's not as hard as what you think. And then he gets... We'll get to a place over here where we'll see the... Next week we'll see southern Judah carried away in the 25th chapter of second of second kings in the 36th chapter of second chronicles judas carried away and they've been carried away till may 15th 14th 1948 there was a 2600 year captivity that's what's going on in Israel right now. That's why they're fighting over there. They're fighting over the land. Now they try to say it's over oil, and it is. But the main key is they're fighting over the land. Who owns it? Well, let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. Help us to see this story of Israel because it is our future. Lord, help us to understand why we have to give up all of this paganism. It's not pleasing in your sight. Fight every battle we have, and Lord, I pray every day that you'll that you'll help us to understand how we need to be living living godly and righteously help the people understand the book that I'm trying to teach them that everything in the Old Testament has to do with what's going on today in the world this is all your judgments coming up on the world fight our battles Open up many doors for the ministry and we'll give you praise for everything in Christ's name. Amen.